It's been a week of elections, but it's time to get back to talking about putting crosses into boxes of a different kind. This week we'll hear the second part of a great interview with St Caddock's boss Craig McEwen. He tells us why his wife's underwear regularly turned up in the dressing room, being sold to Wraith 24 hours after signing a new deal at Clyde, and learning from Jimmy Nickel, John Brownlee and Terry Butcher in Kirkcaldy. There's also the day he stormed out of Linlithgow Rose after being dropped for an important game, only to watch his replacement get injured in the warm-up. He looks back at his Scotland under 21 days too, when he played with the likes of Barry Ferguson and Lee McCulloch, and also tells us why he's nicknamed Southie. Plus, we've got Matt Maley back on the show, after his quick return to management at Girvin, and we hear about Anne Banks' request to sit things out for 12 months. Thanks for giving us your vote as we go down the divisions. Good to have you along as we take a look at Scotland's lower leagues. and Good to have you back as well, uh, too, Paul, after missing last week's show. Uh, it looks like you've been... Busy too at New Mains. I see you've been organising a pre-season tournament for later this month, which looks pretty interesting. Yeah, we have, Gareth. It's actually been a, a, a busy few weeks at the club, obviously trying to get, as I mentioned before, players signed. But we've decided, because we obviously haven't had a game since beginning of December, pre-season is going to be slightly different this year. We're going to go back on the 17th of May and then we've actually asked, invited a few local teams in to play in a mini-league so the guys are getting more game time uh, running the build-up of the season. So we've spoke to Bells Hill, Royal Albert, Forth, Kirluk and Les Mahago and we're just going to form a wee six-team league played over five weeks. Uh, I think that'll then leave us like three weeks before the season starts. We can either maybe get a, a game or see where we are fitness-wise and what we need to do in that period of time. So, yeah, thank the clubs for, for accepting the invitation and uh, looking forward to it and looking forward to getting started. Sounds, uh, sounds good. Uh, a quick word for our sponsors, Media Agency 44 Creative. Not only do they have photographers, graphic designers, videographers and video editors to help promote your content, brand, organisation or event, they now offer website services too. They make creation personal and they'd love to hear from you. Find out more at www.44creativehq.com and we'll include that link in the show's description on your podcast player too. Back to the show and please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Our email address is divisions at gmail.com that's down the divisions at gmail.com, or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hi, I'm Ross Wilson, manager of Mary Hill, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we hear the second part of that interview with St. Caddock's boss Craig McEwen, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club from League One down, then reveal the answer at the end of the show. This week, Paul, you've got the clues. Over to you. So they were founded in 1969. They played in the Caledonian Amateur League until 2015. They have developed players such as Jackie McNamara and Derek White. 
They were the Lowland League Cup winners in 2017-18. They were the what cup winners? They were the Lowland League Cup winners in season 2017-18. Got me stumped there, Paul. Well, we'll find out the answer at the end of the show. Hi, my name's Carlo Walker, and I'm the manager of Mabel. You're listening to Down the Divisions. St. Carrick's manager Craig McEwen is our guest this week. But Craig, I said at the start there that you tell your players that you had a career and made a living out of having shockers. Is that is that right? As in, do you tell them that? I'm not saying is it right you I, had a shocker, but... I, I certainly do, but I'm probably doing myself a bit of a disservice. Um, I, I think I was no bad, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I think I overemphasize on that point, Gareth, is to, is to say to the players, Joe, I want to give you the freedom and the luxury to go and express yourself. For me... We all make mistakes. I've not got an issue with giving the ball away or trying something. As long as it's done in the right areas and it's done with the right intentions. If you make mistakes, well, as I always say, I had a career out of making mistakes and giving the ball away. But but one thing you could never label at me was when I gave it away, I just threw my arms in the air and, oh, well, that's rubbish. And, oh, look at the state of the surface. I mean, the amount of players I've seen that look at Arsenal Tough Parks and throw their arms in the air when they, they make a mistake is if, all right, I, that... My, my, magic bobble that's appeared on Astor Park so so for me it's just about just go just go and express yourself go and enjoy it and if you give it away and it doesn't work well go and get the bloody thing back work harder and get it back um, so for me it's about just giving the guys that, that environment to go and express yourself and just play with a smile on their face um, we, we, we have the guys twice a week during the week for two hours a week um, and a Saturday they, they work their blooming backsides off um, the other five or six days with their families and that should be their escapism to go and have a, have a bit of banter and a bit of fun and a bit of laugh and that's something that listen I should probably take a bit of my own um, advice here but I didn't always play with a smile on my face because it, you, you want to win um, and it was never you, you, as I said earlier on you don't always win trophies but for me it's about just creating that environment for the guys to go and, and just express yourself and, and get on the ball and enjoy it you're talking about players there, Craig, throwing their arms up in the air. I listened to a, a, a podcast, a high-performance podcast, and it was this week with Kasper Schmeichel. And he was talking about he constantly done that, make a mistake, throwing his arms up in the air, actually showing people that he actually made a mistake. Again, player education in it. You know, he would throw his arms if he's made a mistake. Then that would give the, you know, the, the guys in the studio the ammunition that he's, that he's made that mistake. Paul, it, it absolutely must be an old school thing that you've just said that. Uh, my son's sitting across me here, my son's in at St Mirren, um, and I say to him all the time, so he's 16-year-old, and I say to him all the time, see if you're doing a possession drill, and I'm watching you train, and you make a bad pass, and all I hear is, ah, why are you making a noise? Why are you telling people you made the mistake? And and I always get taught, I remember Jimmy Nichols saying, I don't care if you keep giving the ball away as long as you keep getting there and keep getting in that position to go and do it. See the day you stop getting in that position or the day you stop taking the ball, that's the day I've got a problem because you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. So I, I totally agree with you. Why highlight the fact you've made a mistake? It might just be the fact that somebody's read your pass and they've just been that step ahead of you, but you're telling the galleries that you've made a mistake and give the ball away. I always say to my son as well, if the coach just turned away to go and get a ball and you go, ah, He's picking the ball up, not even watching, going, oh, there's come, give the ball away again. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it, it's it's player management, it's 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 an education thing, and and I think that comes from my upbringing um, of reserve leagues and Monday night football and and playing with proper, proper pros that, that, that if you give the ball away, they'll absolutely slaughter you. 
Um, and there was never a snowflake environment back there. Um, if you gave the ball away, you were told you gave the ball away. You were told you had a shocker. You were told on a Saturday, you've cost me a win bonus. So what's changed? What, why have we changed? Because it's still the same game. It's still about winning. It's still about being the best that you can be. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, it's pretty interesting that you say that because I speak to my son about that one all the time, Paul. And as a player, a bit of a joker in the changing room, would you kind of, would, would you say that? And, and I mean, I mean, if you wear your white underwear in the changing room, I presume you weren't doing that just because that's what you did. <laughs> to be fair, I get stitched up big time in that one as well, to be fair. Um, it's one of the ones you come in for training, don't you? So you, you go into part-time and you come in, you train, you, you throw your, your kit in the wash machine. Um, always get to, In my house, you get told darks and whites and watch what you're putting <laughs> in the machine, right? So you know the rules in the house when you're doing your washing and the black beads and you need to brush this and brush that. It's just it's, it's a nightmare in my house after training. Um, so you get in, you, you, grab, you throw your stuff in the wash machine, you get it the next day, you grab it, bang, straight in the tumble dryer, straight back out, you put it in your bag. But unbeknown to you, there's a pair of knickers or something else <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the washing machine that's them in the tumble dryer. And there's nothing worse than going to a, 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 the dressing room on a Tuesday or a Thursday or even a Saturday and you pull your shorts out and a pair of knickers comes out with it and stuff like that as well. So <laughs> I, I think that's happened on more than one occasion. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I've been caught with that one a few times. And and just, I mean, in terms of like, we won't go through every club, but I mean, you played over 300 games at Clyde Wraith, Ed and Barton, Breakin, Stennis Muir, Linithgow Rose, Pollock, Glen Afton. Your highlights from that, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about your 21s in a minute, if, 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 if you don't before. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, is that Menzies script you're reading from? Then? <laughs> um, but I mean, in terms, in terms of your cl- your club kind of career, um, your your, hi- your highlights from from back then. I, I think for me, Wraith Rovers was was an amazing club. I started my career at Clyde, and I still speak about this time blue in the face. I, I was a, a player that. Uh, 15, 16, just to come up for 16-year-old that played for Postal YM. Um, Gordon Wilde, who was a scout at Clyde at the time, came to watch um, a, a player, not me, came to watch a player on the Saturday um, who had phoned in sick or didn't come in that day, he was not well. So I ended up playing that that person's position. Um, Clyde were playing Partick Thistle in the BP Youth Cup on the Sunday at Newlands Field, just along the road. Um, so he needed a player, obviously, because that's why he was going to watch that player. So he, he'd said to my, my coach at the time, I quite like the look at him. Like, can he come tomorrow and play the, the BP Youth Cup? So I went I went on the Saturday and um, I, I played on the Sunday. And I, believe it or not, I, I played centre mid. I scored a goal, an absolute world. God knows where that's came from. Um, and then what, what? it just went so quick that Alex Smith was at the game. It was the Easter week coming up for school. I went in full time on the Monday after the Sunday. Within the fortnight, I was offered a contract. Um, and, and I was by no means the best player in that Postal YM team. I was just a hard worker. I was honest. I was a grafter. Um, and, and, and I say I say to players, players nowadays that make it and they get thrown all this crazy, crazy money at them. I get £45 a week as a YTS at Clyde and it cost me £58 a week to get there. So I'm not very good at maths. But I was running at a loss every single week by signing and being YTS. But do you know what? We absolutely loved it. So for me, being in amount, amongst that and a YTS and, and some of the pros, the senior pros at the club at that time, George McCluskey, Celtic striker, legend, Charlie Nicholas, winding down his career, but pff, ability was unbelievable. Keith Knox, Ian Angus, Aberdeen. So I, I was in that 
Eddie Annan, boys like that. I was in a right good dressing room and a, and a, a, a right good club at that time. And it was probably the right club for me. So early days, loved my time at Clyde. Kind of got shafted a wee bit at Clyde, to be fair, because I, I'd signed my, my contract and I kind of, Gardner Spears was the manager and he offered me, a kind of, I think it was a five-year deal he offered me. So I got pulled in one day and he offered me a five-year deal, um, a four or a five-year deal. Um, and it was one of the ones your, your wages go from like £45 to £125. You, you immediately think you're a millionaire, don't you? So you get that £125. I think it went up in £25 increments for the first couple of year, and it went up £100 increments. So I'm thinking, this is brilliant. This club have wanted to sign me for a four-year contract. I've been YTS for six months, now I'm a full-time pro and all that sort of stuff. Signed my contract. Within 24 hours, I got a phone call to say that Wraith Rovers had bid for me and have accepted the bid. They bloody played me to so they could pre Bosman to try and get more money out of Wraith Rovers at the time and say, well, they've, he's just signed a four-year contract. And if I'd bloody known that, I would have put in a sign-on fee, a move-on fee, a clause, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff as well. But So I, I love my time at Clyde. Um, but, but I think for me, I've loved my time at all the clubs. Um, I, I must admit, um, there's been... Good times and bad times. Each club, there's been massive times where I've times where I've learned and done crazy, crazy things. Um, I kind of shut my trap from time to time. Um, an example of that at Wraith Rovers, where I just couldn't keep my trap shut. They were bringing all these foreigners and giving them houses, cars, and and all that sort of stuff. And, and my wages were going down, and I kept saying, "Right, why are my wages going down and theirs are all going up?" And I'm the one that's played here for several years. So that I just I couldn't hold my hold my water to be honest with you. So massively successful times at most of my clubs. Um, to be honest with you, um, even when I went to junior, loved my time at Lithgow Rose. Um, absolutely loved the place. Um, won trophies um, again. Got myself into trouble. We were playing the Scottish Junior Cup um, quarterfinals against Bonnes. Dave Bakey was the manager, uh, and, and this story will follow, follow me to my grave. And Dave Bakey was the manager, and what happens? I'd played every single game up to that the quarterfinal. And what happens? We in the social club at, at Lothgar Rose again. Dave Bakey's saying his chat, and, and he names his team, and he, and he gets to number two, and he mentions Big Kevin, uh, Big Kevin Donnelly, and Big Kevin hadn't played most of the season at right back. He played elsewhere, but not right back. And I'm, I'm going to play Big Kevin Donnelly because he, he he's a big game player, and he's playing against Brian McPhee, and he can handle Brian McPhee, and this and that next thing. So me being me, kind of shut my trap sitting there in the social club, and I'm going, you kidding me on? Obviously, I thought I'd said it in my head, but I'd obviously said it out loud. <laughs> and Dave Bakey's like, me, he says, did you say something there, son? And I was like, you kidding me on? Big game player. You kidding me on? One of the ones. And he says, what you'll do is, you'll shut your mouth. I'm doing a team talk. You're just up that team talk. And I went, do you know what? Ram it. And in the social club, there was there was beer mats on the table. Now, I'm not advocating for shouting back, but there was beer mats on the, on the social club as it was. And I picked up the beer mat and, and I stood up and Dave Baker said to me, I tell you right now, son, if you stand up and you walk away, keep walking because you ain't playing for my club again. And I've just done that with a beer mat to throw it down on the deck. But beer mat being beer mat, I've done that and it's went and hit the coach right in the head. Um, so at that point I knew I'm done. So I just kept walking and he shouted, don't you come by, you're finished at my club. So that was just a story of me just again, not being able to shut my mouth, but, but majorly successful times at Lithgow Rose. Then went to Pollock, um, and then obviously Glen Afton bought me and I suppose that that 15 week spell I had at Arthley as manager and then back to Glen Afton um, so I just I, I say to any young player nowadays it's just love and 
live, eat and breathe every moment you're involved in football and play as long as you can. I listened to Willie a couple of weeks back, 36-year-old, had to chuck it. Want to play, want to play as long as he can. As a player, you want to try and play as long as you can because see when your body packs in, it absolutely packs in and it tells you you can't play any longer. So keep going as long as you can um, is, is my advice, I would say. Got to remind you to that, that story, the, the Lanlithgow Social Club. So he's got to number two in the team sheet. Yep. You're thinking, there's another nine jerseys here and I'm not on it. See, I wasn't thinking, another nine jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking straight away. Do you know what? I wasn't bloody thinking, Paul. I was thinking, my name's not in number two. I'm throwing my toys at the pram here. <laughs> to be fair, and then all the players got on the bus. and they, they, I wasn't even allowed in the bus. I was not even allowed in the bus for Lithgow Rose to Bonus. And do you know the worst thing about it is I jumped in my car. All the players were trying to calm me down, jumped in my car. I drove to Bonus. Big Kevin gets injured in the warm-up, does he know? <laughs> and honestly, I would have been on the bench and then I would have started the game so he gets injured in the warm-up. So there's a lesson for any young person anybody that's listening to that. Shut your trap and just take your medicine and then do your talking on a Tuesday that I tell my players to do. Don't do it on a Saturday. I forgot to bonus. A lot of players would have just went down the road. But Go yeah. back to Pulse YM. have obviously produced a lot of players over the years. Was there any kind of bigger names in that team that, that you played with that were on to make it? Um, no, I would. Well, Alan Archibald is probably one. Um, went on to play Party Thistle. There was a boy, Ian Blackburn, who had unbelievable ability. Um, just his, his whole life just went down a different route. For everybody else's, to be honest with you, but he was unbelievable. But I think probably the main one I would suggest would be probably Big Archie. Um, Kenny Arthur, probably Partick Thistle. We were postal at that team are probably the, 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 the breeding ground um, for Partick Thistle um, in terms of their scouts to always come to their games and stuff like that as well. And I think Clyde were at quite a few of their games as well. But that, that's probably the main two that stick out, Kenny Arthur and, and Al Archibald. And you, you were talking about Clyde there. Did, did Ruth Rovers end up paying money for you? Did, did you end up... Yeah, so they paid, back in those days, they paid £225,000. Um, I think it was 175 up front and then two instalments of £25,000 after X amount of games. Um, so it, it was a lot of money. Jimmy Nicol went in there and Jimmy Nicol was just, the guy is just an absolute dream. Um, he, he's brilliant. And I've never heard anybody say a bad word about Jimmy Nicol, but he was brilliant. And Alex Smith, who was a manager at Clyde, left, went to the Throvers. Gardner took over and then obviously he'd obviously told Jim Nicol to come and get myself and at the time I, I remember signing for Wraith Rovers and I absolutely loved it um, I didn't have a clue young wet behind the ears and I phoned Charlie Nicholas and I said to Charlie Charlie I've not got an agent what do I do here did just my dad go with me he's like listen I'll get my agent to sort it for you so his agent Jerome Anderson done it all for down south um, but it was brilliant at the club at the time and I had Jimmy Nicol senior right back brilliant John Brownlee Scotland right back brilliant Terry Butcher no airs or graces he was a defender coach we had a defender coach away back then at Ray Throwers it was brilliant and the amount of learning that I had out of those three people in particular was just unbelievable and it's something I, I to this day try and instill upon my players um, and especially as a defender because I've, obviously I was a defender but I was kind of one of the no tracker backers um, <laughs> that, that people call but um, I, I played right back that's for sure Always amazes me because you know I always remember teams like Mother paying four hundred thousand pounds for Mitchell Van de Gag. You're talking about Wraith Rovers paying that money when admission fees were probably a fiver to get in at the time. I wonder where that money in the Scottish games going now because no team could afford. Wraith Rovers could never dream 
of paying that kind of money for a player now. You have to wonder where that money back then come from when, you know, the income must have been a fraction of what it is now. It, it makes you very sceptical um, and wonder, as you rightly say, where it came from. In that season, I think, alone, Jovinical brought in. And that was the season after they, they played Bayern Munich, that infamous run in Europe and stuff like that. So they've also made a few quid out of that year. Um, and they blew it on me. Um, <laughs> um, but that, that season alone, they signed Keith Wright, Ian Cameron, big, big names. Um, and and they, they had, well, I think the two years before that, they sold the boy Stephen McInespie to Fulham. Um, for I think it was just a million pound, and when I was at when I was at Wraith Rose at the time, um, Jovinic was the manager. I went down to Sheffield Wednesday, um, and Danny Wilson was the, was the manager. I went down in trial with Craig Dargo and Paul Hartley at the time, and we went down for a week. And and I kind of got asked to stay back, um, speak to Danny Wilson. He told me he was very interested in taking me down, um, but he was wanting to try and take me on loan to get me involved in that environment, see if I coped with it. They're a Premier League at the time, um, so Danny Wilson phoned Jimmy Nicholl. Um, and, and said, listen, I, I like the boy, I like the kid, I think he's going to come down and he could, he could has potential to be the replacement for my captain, Peter Atherton, um, but I'm going to work with him, I'd like to take him on loan. Jim Nichols said, you're not taking him on loan, you need to pay for him. Danny Wilson said, much you want? He said, 1.1 million. Danny Wilson swiftly followed up with, how about go and chase yourself? So when I found that out in years gone by and I said to Jimmy, why 1.1 million? That's just a crazy, crazy figure. And he went, Craig, but... I got a million pound for Stephen McInespy, and at that time I thought you had potential because I was not a better player. You had potential to be a better player um, than, than the boy um, McInespy. He says that's why I asked for it. Because that's you're the one that's killed my career. I could have been down <laughs> south swan about um, a few quid in the bank, not even wondering what the word mortgage is. So it's, it's, it's for me, football's about timing, isn't it? It's about I would, I would suggest that it's about ninety percent. Um, luck and 10% ability to be honest with you the right person at the right time when you look at some of the bang average players that are playing in my opinion bang average mm-hmm. um, but they are earning shed loads of money um, and there's some right good players that have just not got that chance and it's all about somebody believing in them somebody buying into them and I'll never ever have a go at Jimmy Nicol because he, he believed in me that I could bring something to that team and, and as you say he invested a lot of money um, at that time so it was a, yeah, that's that's kind of my, my story of how I ended up at um, Wraith Rovers. I'll kind of highlight that as well. I was looking at the transfer window this week, obviously shut, and I'm looking at some of the teams in the Premier League in Scotland. I'll not name them, but you know some of the players they're signing, it's like taking them for lower teams that you, you think to yourself, I, I, I look at it and think it's a desperation signing. I say, you know, you maybe lost two and you're having to bring one in, but it's not the type of player. And, and I'll go back to, you know, Talking of two hundred thousand pound transfer fees, I talked about Mitchell Van de Gag going to Motherwell. Mother, I think Mother was record saying that one time was a uh, McSkimmon from Kilmarnock. You know, they signed him. They paid two hundred and seventy-five thousand pound. I just, I don't know, I, I don't know where it's lost in the game, Craig, because I'm, I'm looking at it now, going, you know, teams in the Premier League signing, signing players that are no getting games at other Premier League teams or Championship teams and stuff like that. I just, it's chasing the dream, isn't it? It's chasing the holy grail of Europe. Uh, it's financial mismanagement. Um, for me, that that's that's suicide. Uh, I think as a club, you need to always live beyond your means. Now, every club spends beyond their means at some point because you, you need to invest um, to try and make yourself better and bigger. But 
there's how many stories have been over the year. Well, Rangers, the perfect example, um, spending all that money, chasing the dream, trying to keep ahead of Celtic and look what they had. Um, and it's taken them years to get back to where they, where they are now. Um, and that's just one example. How many clubs have been out of liquidation, um, administration, um, because they're, they're constantly spending out with their means. Um, so so for me, it's, it's lost. It's lost because, as you rightly say, we've got this money from the government, that's going to help with COVID. We've got the, the national lottery money that's come in. They had the the, the, the John James Anderson, the guy that they trusted gave money. Yeah. It was meant to be used for testing. Nobody's done testing out with the championship in the top league. So what have they done with that 40, 50 grand each of them anyway? Um, I think it was even more than that for some of them. So the reality is there's, there's money there. There's people investing in the game, but they're chasing this dream to be the best. And everybody can be the best. Um, oh, not at the same time. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best. There's nothing wrong with, with, with aspiring to be the best in the league and the best in your area and all that sort of stuff as well. But the, the, the money's gone, Paul. And we've had Sky this year that have come in and put a lot of money in Scottish football. And there's no fans allowed in games. Yeah. It's just, again, bad luck, bad timing. Um, but I hope we get back to some, some form of normality for the start of next season or if not the start next season I would suggest probably looking at I would suggest before fans get back in September, October time um, so it might be another pre-season and a first couple of months without fans but, but I would suggest after that hopefully we can get back to some normality we're getting some fans back in the stadium because we need it we absolutely need it I think the positive to all that though is it gives our league a bit of you know, you're talking about these teams and the failings of the kind of higher up the division. It gives some. And listen, I'm I'm not saying that there's no teams in our league that are chasing the dream and and and, and could be living out with their means. That 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 could be. But I certainly think it gives our product something. You know, as I said earlier, on teams looking over their shoulder, this team's coming here, and I actually think it's going to be a whole new excitement round, round about where we are. Oh. Uh, and I actually think I actually think people might. Actually, look at senior football and say, do you know what? I'm just going to go down and watch St. Caddick's today. Uh, and do you know what? I'm buzzing for that day when the fans are allowed back in. Uh, as I said to you, the, the, the fan base and the potential we have for season tickets is unbelievable. Um, that immediately makes St. Caddick's a sustainable um, you've got that sustainable outcome. You've got the, the, the funds coming in every single week, which allows us to potentially spend a little bit more in terms of trying to attract um, good, good players. But, but I suppose one of the challenges as being a manager is trying to live within a budget. Aklan Afton had a budget. It was probably, I would suggest, in the bottom half of budgets in that league. And 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 but as a manager, how you entice players to come and want to play for you. Um, for, as I say, if it's about money, 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 you're trying to get the wrong person. Um, if you need players to want to come and buy into your project and buy into, buy into the club, I mean, all the Glasgow-based players did not go down to Glenafton because they were staunch Glenafton fans and knew about them growing up. <laughs> they didn't go down there for the money because they didn't get the money. It was about coming and playing for the, the, the project and, and playing for myself and playing for Potsy. And, and, and I would suggest even Billy Peacock and, and Michelle the Fizzle as well. I mean, Billy Peacock won the Scottish Cup with Renfrew as a manager. Um, I, I think he's, he's won it as a player as well. Um, Billy Peacock, my goalie coach. So it's it's getting the players to buy into us as a team. Because um, it's not just all about, it's not about me. It's about Potsy, it's about Michelle, it's about the players, it's, it's about the committee. Uh, it's about that, that big family feel. And 
that's that's one of the things that I'm missing um, is the fans and and the how busy a Saturday is. It, it, it's so hard now, guys. And, and Paul, how hard is it a Saturday to try and do a team talk at a dugout? You've got your COVID officer taking temperatures, handing out strips, and it is what it is, right? So he's handing out strips. The boys come in. The boys immediately know before I've done a team talk what number they are. So they know if they're playing or not playing. So you've got half your squad coming up buzzing. You've got the other half coming up thinking, I'm not interested in you've got to say to me today because I'm not even listening to you because I've got number 14 that he's just handed me. Um, and, and to be fair, you can go down the route of squad numbers and all that sort of stuff as well. You can hand out the strips. I mean, I mean the first time I, I spoke to Barry Lemkin, I said to Barry, let's not do that at the gate. Let's get the strips up there. Let's get them on the, the pillar, the post. We'll do our chat. Once they know what number they are, they are. Within my team talk, it starts absolutely lashing down. So the players are then going to put their strip on. It's absolutely bloody soaking because we've tried to put out, try and do something a lot different. So you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And, and McKenna Park is pretty much wide open because we can't use the change rooms. But I tell you what, guys, I, I probably need to give a wee bit of a shout out to the, the, the ground staff at McKenna Park and, and St Anthony's because... It's super. Oh, mate, it's unbelievable. Um, Felix and the guys down there, the work that they put in to make that place, the, 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 the place that it is, is brilliant. It's absolutely unbelievable. So for me, that that helps. It makes it more enjoyable that you're going and you, you get that family feel for the guys and, and they, they can't do, can do enough for you on a Saturday, which is brilliant. And for a grass park as well, it's probably the only pitch in Scotland that it's only snow. It's only snow that's keeping that park off. They, you know, I was talking to Felix, you know, when we played them, they put like a hundred ton of sand on that every single year. Groundsman works really, really hard. And it is, if you ever look at their fixtures, there's only snow that's ever going to put that game off. Mate, my, my very first game for St Caddox was against Fourth Wonders. Um, and the weather that week was a tsunami for five days. And I remember texting Barry in the Saturday morning, Barry Lemkin, saying, Baz, right, I'm looking at my window. There's no danger this game's on. I then find out the game's on, I think, right, okay, here we go, it's going to be an absolute quiet, this is going to be the f- very first example what everybody spoke about, no dressing rooms, muck, quagmire, driving home in the muck. I got to the park and I stood in the park and I, it was like my living room carpet. I couldn't believe how good the surface was, so it, it's major testament today, guys. And and, and as, as Felix had said, there's not a game called off in five years other than snow. Here you go. So and I take it the wife hasn't been down to Hoover Blackgrass either. She's certainly not been out to Hoover Blackgrass. Um, Hoover's had some through this house. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Alan Archibald earlier, and I don't know if you want to speak about this, but I think you won 17 caps for Scotland in the 21s. And uh, he was a teammate with you there as well, I think. It was, but I'll correct you. It was 19, not 17. All okay. the statistics aren't right. All right, apologies. <laughs> so, it was, yeah, it was, I was very, very fortunate listen I got my break again by Alex Smith being under 21 manager took me to the throwers and he obviously believed in me um, I was very very fortunate I got 19 on 21 caps played with Archie played with Barry Ferguson Lee McCulloch um, boys like Jamie Buchan Grant Brebner Alec Notland at Man United at the time top top players um, an unbelievable squad um, that we had at the time so so for me it was it was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guy, initially, I thought my, my debut, I was at Clyde at the time, as I said, 45 quid a week, and some of these guys were on crazy, crazy money, um, but you know, they were always the same, you got them the exact same way, they, they looked after me, they treated me well, um, and I just, it was a joy 
um, just to even be involved in that setup, let alone go and win 19 caps, to be honest with you. Um, and it's something that my kids will we talk about in years to come. I've got my first two strips in framed. They're up the loft. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's... It's something that I'll, I'll never forget about in terms of making my debut for Scotland, which a lot of people can kind of say they've done that. And a, a few of those games were the Toulon tournament, weren't they? Yeah, it's, we played the Toulon tournament. So uh, it was we played the Czech Republic, we played Portugal, um, and we played Colombia um, in the Toulon tournament. I've uh, I've been out to cover it since, and it's different to what it was back. <sighs> When you played, but I mean, were those the days when the ball would go into somebody's back garden and, and you'd have to go and get the ball and it was an 80-minute game on Eurosport? And <laughs> Well, it was on Eurosport, but we, we played we played Portugal in Saint-Tropez. So the, the park was unbelievable in Saint-Tropez. We had Richard Branson's, you could see his bloody big stupid yacht in the, in the scenes in the ocean and stuff like that as well. But yeah, it, it wasn't like it was then. I think we played one game in... Toulon in their actual stadium. Um, who's that against? I think it was the Czech Republic. I think it was who played the Czech Republic in there. Uh, but yeah, it, it's so far detached to Toulon to it from what it was a way back then. Now it's very very professional now, and um, it's great. Um, but again, it was it was just brilliant to be a part of. Um, even just so young to go and experience that different type of football and that tournament style type of football. Um, you don't get that. You don't get that experience over here, which was brilliant. So it was good. And I know we've talked about your management, but just to kind of round things off, I know you were you were only thirty-seven when you then went and took charge of Arthurly. Um, I mean, we, we've spoken to quite a few managers on on the show since we started, and and it seems to be there's a lot of young managers go into what was juniors and is now now. Uh, and non-league football, but how did you find going in there? And I mean, you only stayed there. I know you touched on it earlier a little bit. You only stayed there for the three months. Was that just because the the whole Glen Afton thing was was too big a job, and you you couldn't turn it down? You know, they came calling. They were your club type thing. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, uh, we were we were, I would suggest, re- really successful for the fifteen weeks we were at Athley. Um, we managed to in our first two games draw with Clyde Bank and beat Lake Talbot. Um, in our first two games so we've done really really well um, myself Potsy and um, Big Kegs um, so we've done, we done really really well it was a really really tough decision see going and telling Andy Pollock and, and telling Dave Bakey that I, I was going to go to Glen Afton um, it, it was really tough to be honest with you and, and I, I said to him that was probably the only club I mean there, there was probably two clubs that, that I probably would have left to go to with him been a Pollock boy Paul might have been an, an attraction for me. I would have got slaughtered, but even more than I did for going to Glen Afton. Um, but Glen Afton, but with me having just stopped playing there as a player, um, the, the pool was the, the the pool of going back to Glen Afton was just too too good to turn down. To be honest with you, and the project, as I said, I bought into the project of what they want to do. And listen, it, it shows it was the right decision. Um, we went on and, and we won trophies. Um, when I took over at Glen Afton, we were they were second bottom. And we finished that season fourth. Um, so again, and and it, it, we didn't do anything rocket science. It was just giving a, a platform and an environment for the players to go and enjoy their football, giving them a structure, working on set pieces, which are crucial in, in modern day football, I would suggest nowadays anyway, and just making us organised and, and, and hard to beat, to be honest with you. And there's a lot to be said for that. Um, as much as we, I play a very expansive 
um, formation, a very expansive style of play. Um, for me, it was about we want to try and get the ball down and play. And uh, uh, for me, I would rather go and have a go. And it didn't work and get sacked or get told it's not good enough, then just get the ball and go back to front. Um, and and you can go back to front, you can go long if it's done with a purpose. So when, you, when, you, when you play against some teams and some of the it was hard because we play against teams just want to sit in. I, I played against multiple teams. And for, I remember first taking a laughing job. We played a few games and we played against teams that were playing four five one. I remember talking to Potsy after the first month and saying, "I didn't realise we were bloody Barcelona. Why are teams coming here and just want to shut up shop?" And for me, go to that go um, and, and just try and win the game. And there was too many teams, in my opinion, that were just coming to shut up shop and and, and didn't want to play. To be honest with you, so listen that. Might be naive of me to say that that it's, of course we want to defend and we defend from the front. I think um, and, and, and the, t- the two teams um, or the three teams now that I've managed. But but for me, it's about just going and enjoying your football. Um, to be honest with you, so yeah, that, that was. I would suggest that was the, the main reason why I, I wanted to go to Glen Afton because the, the pool was just too much for me in terms of having been there. I was going to say, who came up with your nickname? Who was the first person to call you call you uh, Southie? Which, do you know what? I don't know. Um, I, I think when I was when I was four year old, um, I moved over to South Africa. Went over for a holiday to South Africa, and I come. We stayed there. Ended up staying there for five years. Um, my dad got a good job in the BM, with BMW, um, and we stayed there for five years. And I come back when I was like nine, nine and a half, and I, I think someday in their wisdom decided just to call me Southie because I went to South Africa, and I think it's just stuck me since I've been. It's one of the the unsolved stories of my life that I don't know I actually don't know how the hell I've been called Southie for all these years I also don't know how I've accepted to be called Southie for all these years because it's <laughs> the most name in the world um, but yeah I think it must have been somebody when I come back that said that and just just the, just the last one on this on this uh, section actually um, you mentioned your work earlier on there uh, healthcare recruitment is that what you're involved in? it is yes yeah, so I work for Search um, Search Consultancy Group um, I I look after the healthcare section for Scotland. Um, I've got three offices, one in Glasgow, Edinburgh and Aberdeen. Um, and you can imagine COVID. Um, it's just made our market spiral out of control, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's been good for us because we've been really, really busy. Um, but it's also not the way that we wanted to become busy or busier than what we were because um, it's tragic with the amount of deaths that are happening. But it, it's been a tough shall we say, 12 months or 11 months um, because we've been really, really busy. Um, all my offices have been really, really busy. So uh, I, I'm very, very fortunate that I work in a job that I love, or two jobs that I love, football um, and, and, and healthcare. It's about my background. When I, when I kind of went from full-time football to part-time football, as most full-time footballers do, you think, what the hell am I going to do? I've, I've not really done anything for like 15-odd year. Um, and I absolutely stumbled into a job within the health and social care sector. I actually lied in my interview and my whole interview was all about coaching kids when I probably didn't even coach that much anyway. Maybe I managed to blag the job, I got into the job. Maybe that was a, my calling card that was good at sales um, and I managed to just go from working within on the front line and working with children, adolescents with, with, that are very, very vulnerable to then become the other person and work on the other side and, and as the years went on, I've worked within agency. So um, I've just, I work in a job that I love. I've got a, a brilliant team in about me, very much like my football team as well. And and a lot of the way I, I conduct myself with football, bar the shouting and balling, um, I, I instill that in my teams. For me, 
it's the teamwork ethos. Um, for me, it's about having the right characters and the right personalities that, are, that want to work for you and want to want to be a success. Um, and, and I think that's the same in any walk of life. I don't think that's just football, to be fair. So um, for me, I, I've shown that not just in a football front, I'm, I've been very successful in building successful teams. So long may that continue, um, shall we say. Hi, it's Murdo McKinnon, Port Manager here, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Less than a fortnight after quitting Anne Bank, Matt Mealy is back in the game after being appointed as Gervin's new manager last week. Delighted to say Matt joins us on the show now. Thanks for being with us yet again, Matt. Um, well, first of all, I guess, did you see a return happening so quickly when you left Anne Bank? Uh, hi, Gary. Thanks for having me back on. Firstly, Paul. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't see it happening so quickly. Um, you know, with, with no plans, and I'll make that clear right now. Um, I've had a few sort of uh, text messages from various people to say you had that one up your sleeve, wee man. Um, but genuinely, no, no, we, we never knew what was what was ahead of us. Um, to be honest, there was a couple of clubs that did contact us just to ask what we were doing. Um, but at that point, no, we, we had no idea what we were going to do. So I think it all all happened. Uh, towards the Sunday and the Monday of last weekend and, and just sort of fast-tracked itself from there. Well, welcome back on, Matt. you get your hat-trick ball. That's uh, three in the bounce now, I think. Uh, we actually thought, we've actually got, believe it or not, me and Gareth do have two friends, Ben and Tom, and they actually thought you were going to be coming and uh, hosting on the show you were on that often. To be fair, he's been on more he's been on more often than you have in the last couple of weeks, I would say. <laughs> but just to say, uh, for our listeners, tell us a wee bit more about Gervin and what the attraction was down there. Uh, there was a lot of things, actually, that were an attraction, Paul, and it was important that, that I didn't dive into just the first job that was available. You know, it had to be the right fit, um, just given, obviously, you know, we expected to be at Anne Bank longer than what we were. So I guess the attraction, first of all, was that the fact that, you know, I've known the club for a long time when I was at Troon. We played them in the playoffs um, and certainly having them down at Troon and then we went back up. It was a midweek game, horrible night, pulled a good, good, good crowd and it just had a good atmosphere. It's a good ground. Um, but looking deeper than that, you know, the committee are very, very well run, very organised, um, right from the top, middle to bottom. You know, it's a fantastically run club. Um, I guess once I started speaking to you know, um, Danny and Andrew, uh, who are deeply involved in the club, and seeing uh, what they had in front of them and the journey that they were they were planning ahead of them, then uh, it, would, it would be foolish for me to say no, because they've got great ambitions for the club, you know, and, and the work that they're putting in behind the scenes um, to make the club better, to involve the community, which is really important as well, um, just made it a, an absolute no-brainer for me to, to, to say yes to them. And obviously, one thing the club does have, it has club licensing, so Obviously, that just shows the strength and the ambition of the, the club. Uh, that automatically gives you entry to the Scottish Cup. It does. It does. And that, that's a great conversation when you're trying to bring players in, Paul. You know, just to, to put that, dangle that carrot in front of them. Um, so, yeah. And, and again, I've been to the ground a couple of times now. Um, and you can see from there, you know, they've got the new dugouts, which are obviously in line with uh, what the licensing requires. Uh, they've got floodlights going up end of June. Um again, which the licensing requires, and then we walk into the dressing rooms and the manager's office and the treatment rooms, and you can just see, as I say, said earlier, you know, the, the, the commitment that the club are putting into to getting it right. Um, so, yeah, great, great, great uh, times ahead, hopefully. What about the extent of the squad that you're taking over and how much work do you do you see having to, to do with that? 
Um, it's been, it's, to be honest, it's been the, the club in itself. You know, over the last season, um, Peter Leonard came in, and Peter's a, a very well organised, experienced manager. So, you know, when Peter um, stepped down, I, I knew that he'd be leaving it in some sort of strong capacity. Um, so, we're currently looking at the squad that's there. Obviously, we need to add to it. Um, I think latterly, um, the squad was sort of depleted a little bit, um, which doesn't, you know, doesn't fear me because certainly with the networking that we're able to do, then. We look to bring in, you know, uh, and have a strong squad. Um, and I think just come back to Anne Bank, you know, the, the, having a depth of uh, quality within your squad and not just jersey fillers is, is really what we're trying to, to drive forward with. I guess the big question is, have you convinced Christian Nade to put his Caribbean pre-season on hold and, and get him to agree to go to Girvin yet? Or is that on the cards? Uh, difficult one for the big man because he's got to swap trains at air. <laughs> and it uh, doesn't, doesn't drive so I think right. uh, no I think uh, the taxi fare was too expensive for him so I think we'll, we'll put that one on hold and wait till he comes back for the Caribbean and see what his appetite's like for there and obviously we have touched on Anne Bank uh, over the over the last wee while uh, someone's told me this way and I actually don't know how true it is that maybe they've asked for a, a suspension for a year out a year out have you heard that Matt? Yeah, that's right, Paul. I spoke to Scott. You know, Scott and I are still in, in sort of um, good communications, and uh, and that's what they've done. They've, they've, they've basically just asked just to put it on hold uh, for a year, and then potentially step back in next year. All being well, and that's what everyone wants. You know, I think it will give um, the club time to sort of take stock and maybe go forward and get the facilities right um, for the criteria for the west of Scotland, um, and obviously to recruit. Times as well. There's an amateur team in Anbank, um, and I think they might, from what I've heard, they might be using the facility and doing it up. Um, and at that point, then that will give them a season to sort of uh, go forward and, and, and look to do what they want to do and probably join the West of Scotland League in, in some capacity. So um, I'm just happy that, that there's something still happening at Anbank. Um, and ultimately, I guess if you look at it with the size of Anbank and Gareth, you know, you were on mentioned about the population 859. I think you mentioned in the first time we spoke. Well, for it to carry two teams um, was always a bit of a challenge. So now there's one team in Anbank, and I think you know everyone can focus on getting that right going forward. So fingers crossed that they come back in. Absolutely. And uh, pre-season plans? Have you have you been working overtime to to map those out? And when are you back training? Uh, yep. So we've really been working hard the last week. Um, we've signed six players. Uh, four of which get announced tonight, so they're out on social media. Um, and we've got another two that will be getting announced tomorrow, uh, 22nd of May. We're in at the ground and we'll do a double session, um, obviously, to allow for numbers, the right numbers to come in and work with. Um, and I want everybody that's coming in just to be part of it and see the ground and see what the opportunity is at the ground as well. So, uh, pre season game arranged as well for Glen Afton. Um, if, if and when we can do it, roughly about the 19th of June uh, at Glen Afton. Mick's already been on the phone, so looking forward to that one, because um, I like to start off a pre-season with two tough games, just to see exactly where we are. Like I done last year, Auckland Lake and Glen Afton, and people were saying to me, you off your head. But it, it gives you a measurement, it gives you a benchmark of how far off you know we are. Um, so hopefully by then we'll be nice and prepared. And is there any exclusives for down the divisions in, in names of signings? Uh, yep, so Alan Orr joins us, uh, jockey as they call him, um, played with Darvel, played at Girvin for a season actually, tells me he was a legend there but I haven't heard anybody saying that when he was up at the ground. Uh, so jockey joins us, delighted to have him, left-sided player, uh, very good 
um, experienced as well. Martin Brown, uh, Bruni, joins us. He was a Scottish Cup winner with Hurlford. Um, Martin was my captain at Anbank last uh, last season. Um, got a young goalkeeper, Sam Gibson. Sam was at Kilmarnock. Um, Sam came in and was kind of number two last season. I had David Marquez my number one, but to be honest, Sam was chatting at the door and it was almost neck and neck. Um, so really young guy, great, great a great future ahead of him and I'm just delighted that you know he can now fight for his number one number two position there as well um, and young Grant Richmond uh, Grant again a young pro youth player that um, like a number 10 uh, just can't get the ball off him you know great to watch technically very good so um, somebody that's quite quite good in the eye as well you know throw on for the last 20 minutes playing for 90 minutes he'll get you fills so um, just trying to get a blend youth experience but legs, it's a big park up there, or down there rather, a big, big park. So uh, I don't want too many Martin Browns about. He rents the park in a 10-yard area. <laughs> um, you'll love me for saying that, but uh, we just want to get a blend of legs and experience. We're recording this on Thursday night, so any Gervin fans wanting to find out any more signing news, they should keep an eye on your social media then. Friday. Yep. Yeah, Friday's a uh, Friday's a big day for for more announcements. Gareth, a couple arriving, and there'll be more to come. Um, but we've currently got signed players as well at Girvan, um, and a good quality, good bit of quality there as well. So, um, you know, we're we're bringing them in with the mindset that that, that we'll have a, maybe a nineteen or a twenty of a squad that we'll run with. Superb, Matt. Well, thanks uh, thanks again for uh, for joining us on the show. We wish you all the best with uh, with everything at Girvan, and uh, speak to you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah that's fine I just uh, speed dial one I think you've got my number Gareth so uh, no listen thanks for having me on again great great uh, great show keep it going and, and all the best guys thanks Mark alright take care my name is David Menelos assistant manager at Bell Cell Athletic you're listening to Down the Divisions the number one podcast now here's Roach's Roundup with Colburny Laidside assistant boss Des Roach Thanks, Gareth. We start in the West of Scotland League, and there have been numerous comings and goings, as well as the usual whispers during the rounds. Rossville manager David Gormley has moved quickly to replace his recently retired assistant manager, Sean Higgins. Sean has decided to step back from his role at the club due to a combination of family and work commitments. However, arriving at Rossville is the highly experienced ex-senior defender and most recently ex-Hurlford defender in Mick Dunlop. Last season's top goalscorer, Lee Ralston and Connor Bradley, well, they have returned to parent club Atherley, with Gartcairn managing to lure away Paul Brennan and Anton McDowell as well. To top off the departures is veteran defender Peter Bradley, who has called time on his own playing career. But it's not all about the exits, as the club have got potential players lined up, a plenty, so I'm hearing, and with more than a passing interest in a couple of players recently released from Darville. Staying in the West, and a couple of other notable news pieces have appeared. Muddy McKinnon and the Pollock Committee have been shocked by the news that striker Darren Christie does not wish to return to Newlands Field for the new season. Christie joined from Bees last summer and only played in three pre-season matches before Pollock decided to withdraw from the season. A loan move to BSC Glasgow was arranged before the suspension of the loan league was cut that move short. A further move to the SPL3 with Annan Athletic the remainder of the season soon materialised and now Christie has had a difficult conversation with Murdy to express his desire to make the move away permanent. <laughs>
No news has yet emerged about Christie's next destination, with both Annan and BSE having been mentioned. But keep an eye for a potential link-up again with the man who took him to BSE, Stephen Swift, and his new club at Stenhouse Muir. In the Lowland League, Kelty Hearts have made a promising start to the playoff doubleheader with Prora Rangers and emerged with a 2-0 victory over the Highlanders. This puts Barry Ferguson's team in a very commanding position ahead of the return leg this Saturday and places them potentially only 90 minutes away from league football next season. Staying in the Lowland League and our next stop is at Bonnie Rigos. They have confirmed a couple of departures from the club including long-time servant Johnny Brown who has decided to call time in his career after suffering a serious knee injury. Brown arrived from Brecon in 2014 and went on to make 154 appearances for the club while scoring 21 goals. Remaining at Bonnie Rig and young striker Jamie Doherty. He's also been lured away and this time he will be joining Trinent after spending only two seasons at the club. However, as Doherty is only 21, then Bonnie Rig will be due a development fee for his talents. Again, it hasn't all been about departures though at New Dundas Park and manager Robbie Horn has finally captured a long-term target of his in Callum Connolly. The ex-Pennycook captain arrives on a P-contact arraignment this summer after Horn failed to land his man last season. And finally, up in the SPFL, and despite being relegated to League 2 for next season, Forfar Athletic have appointed Gary Irvin as their permanent manager after he took charge on an interim basis recently. Irvin steered his side to two wins from his three matches and subsequently he impressed the forward board enough with his drive, determination and attention to detail that these attributes have ultimately earned him the right to take on the role. Last but by no means least, up at Peterhead, gaffer Jim McAnally has begun his rebuilding process and has secured four players from his current squad for next term. Defender Ryan Conroy and fellow defender Andrew McDonald have agreed one-year deals alongside midfielders Simon Ferry and Gary Fraser. Fraser returns after suffering a dislocated kneecap in December, with McAnally absolutely determined to give him every opportunity to succeed at Balmuir. My name's Tommy Sloan, Auchinleck Talbot Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. Over to you, Paul, with those clues again. So they were founded in 1969. They played in the Caledonian Amateur League until 2015. They have developed players such as Jackie McNamara and Derek White. They won the Lowland League Cup in season 2017-18. I said earlier on I didn't have a clue, and I must admit you've got me. You got me tonight, Paul. Cumbernauld Colts. Cumbernauld Colts. I wouldn't have known the answer to that. There you go. It's a topic last week, wasn't it? Aye, especially as I was on my own this week. You know, thank you. Just picked the tough ones when I when I've got no support. <laughs> Thanks again to our sponsors, 44 Creative. Go to www.44creativehq.com if you're looking for a photographer, graphic designer, videographer, or video editor. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us with your comments or suggestions for people to speak to, or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. 
That's down the divisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. <laughs>